What's going on, lacrosse fans? And welcome to another edition of Off the Crossbar. This week, we're talking playoffs. Playoffs? 400 points in four years. Match penalties. Running with the Wolves. And Jesse King wears 19 because he's a fan of Teddy Jenner. Probably not. But probably. All this week on OTCB. Three weeks remaining in the National Lacrosse League season. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of OTCB. We are entering week 16 of the NLL season. Three teams have clinched playoff spots. Buffalo, the latest to do so with their win this weekend. And they join the likes of Saskatchewan and Colorado. But that means there's three playoff spots for six teams. It's going to be fun. Woo! I mean, I I can't, and I'm not a aficionado of looking back on stats and week by week and where teams stand. I wish there was a really simple program for that. There might be. I don't know. Um, but in all my years of watching this league and being a part of this league, I can't think of another season where this late in the season, everybody was still alive. Now, that can all change this weekend. If Vancouver happens to lose to Calgary, they'll be officially eliminated, and the Calgary Roughnecks will secure the third seed, and they'll either travel to Colorado or Saskatchewan for their first-round divisional semifinal one-and-done game. Toronto has four games left. They're on thin ice, but still have a chance to catch the Rochester Nighthawks. They're two games back. Everybody in the East has played 14 games. Actually, everybody in the entire league has played 14 games, except the Calgary Roughnecks. And that's why they didn't clinch last weekend when they beat Vancouver. And that's because Vancouver still has those two games in hand. But again, that can all go out the window this weekend if Calgary defeats Vancouver. The East is a lot more congested. Uh, Buffalo is number one right now. They are a game ahead of New England, who had two huge weekends wins, two weekend wins, and we'll talk about that um, in a few minutes. But then it drops off. So New England is almost assured of getting um, a top seed in a home playoff game, which would be Incredible, considering they were 4-14 and 14 last year. They're 9-5 and five right now and knocking on the door of the Buffalo Bandits to be that number one seed out east. But after Buffalo and New England, it's a three-game spread to get to Rochester. And then, as I said, it's two games separating Rochester, Georgia, and Toronto. Georgia sandwiched there in the middle. And the Swarm aren't out of it yet. Uh, I've incredibly incredibly important win this weekend over the Colorado Mammoth at home on a Sunday 17 to 10 and it just goes to show that if you're not in it to win it at the time you can have a bad quarter you can have a bad two quarters whatever it may be and for Colorado it was sort of the middle part of that game 
uh, when they only scored three goals in the second and third quarter when Georgia scored 11, which really kind of turned the tide in that game. Randy Stats had a massive, massive game for the Swarm. He continues to lead all rookies in points this year. He had seven, three goals, and four assists. Jesse King, who will join us on the podcast here in a little bit, had four points. He's third in rookie scoring with Wes Berg kind of sandwiched in the middle of those two. But Rochester has lost three straight, and I'm not feeling too strongly about them. And I know all my Rochester friends from my time there are probably going to be shaking their fist at me. Where's your loyalty, Teddy? Once a Nighthawk, always a Nighthawk. Absolutely. I got all the love in the world for the Nighthawks. But in years past, this is usually when we've seen them sort of start to strive for greatness and start to find that extra gear. And it hasn't happened. They've, like a lot of teams, been crushed with injury. They lost Corey Vitarelli, I believe, for the season. Uh, He has an upper body injury. Uh, We haven't seen him in three weeks, I believe. And there's no real signs of him coming back anytime soon. Uh, They just got Paul Dawson back today. Um, So that's huge defensively to get him back. But the big thing I've, you know, for this Rochester team, um, their defense is is, is struggling. Um, Matt Vince hasn't been the typical Matt Vince as we've seen in years. You know, Rochester's giving up 162 goals this year, which isn't bad. You know, they're actually second overall in the NLL of goals against behind Saskatchewan, who's given up 154. And that's, you know, Aaron Bold, Matt Vince, 1-2 right there, right? And I was asked this question on, um, I can't remember if it was Lack Sportsnet or if it was on 120. I think it was Lack Sportsnet with uh, Josh Hawkins and Courtney Cox uh, earlier last week. They asked me, um, we were talking about goaltenders, and I said that Evan Kirk was kind of the leading man of the goalie union right now. And it's a nice sort of change of pace from Aaron Bold and Matt Vince kind of being one-two. And they said, well, how come those guys are having off years? And it took me a minute to think about it, but it kind of popped right into my head. Those guys have played a lot of lacrosse over the last year. Um, You know, a full NLL season last year. uh, Both went to the Man Cup Finals and battled against each other uh, in a grueling six-game series here in Victoria for the Man Cup, which Bold and the Shamrocks ended up winning. Obviously, Bold won the NLL Champions Cup last year with the Saskatchewan, sorry, with the Edmonton Rush. I haven't done the reverse wrong name thing in a long time. Um, you know, Matt Vince's team went to the finals against Toronto and lost. So he went late into the winter, right into the summer season, as did Bold. And then both played for Team Canada at the Worlds and were the one two guys. So when you think about it, they basically played from January uh, till the end of September. And had a couple months off and then had to get right back to it. And I know a lot of other guys had to go through all those battles too, but it's tough on goalies. And and both Matt Vince and Aaron Bold seem to be struggling this year. I, I don't think it's fatigue because you could put both those guys up against anybody in the league for fitness and cardio and stamina and all that good stuff, and they're probably two of the most fittest guys in the entire National Lacrosse League. But when you play that much lacrosse, it's got to take its toll on your body. 
And we're starting to see, you know, Aaron Bold letting outside shots in that he normally doesn't not save. Same with Matt Vince. And I, I just, I honestly feel that they've just played a ton of lacrosse and it's starting to catch up with them. Uh, more so for Matt Vince uh, than Aaron Bold. He has an 11.13 goals against average, and that's his highest goals against average since 2012 when he was 12.21. So, you know, it, it could be, you know, the injured defense is playing in front of him. It could be he's just had a lot of lacrosse, and he's kind of hit a bit of a wall. But Rochester's, again, not out of it by any means. And they definitely have a chance. They're, they're in the driver's seat. They're sitting in third place in the East right now. They have some really, really important games coming up. They play Georgia this weekend at home. Then they play home to Buffalo next weekend. And then they have a home-and-home, home, sorry, a back-to-back -back weekend to end the year where they'll host Saskatchewan and then have to go to New England. And, you know, if all kind of goes as it would seem, that game against New England at the end of the year really could be the deciding game for them if they're going to get third. You know, th I'm not counting them out by any means. Um, you know, the game against Georgia this weekend uh, will be massive. Uh, that game could really set the tone for the final two weeks of the NLL. They've struggled against Buffalo this year, losing two. Uh, they've already lost to Saskatchewan once. And they've split the season series with both Georgia and New England. So uh, the game against Georgia is a, a tiebreaker game. Uh, the game against New England probably won't be a tiebreaker because I don't really see New England faltering so much that that game really means anything for two, three seedings. But if Rochester can win two of four, I really like their chances. But we'll just kind of have to wait and see because... This weekend is such a big weekend uh, for a lot of teams just, you know, for keeping the mojo rolling. Uh, Vancouver's lost seven straight. Seven straight. Which can't sit well uh, with GM Doug Locker. Uh, it's definitely got to be, you know, irking new head coach Jamie Batley who's come in and seen his team just, you know, kind of get to the top of the hill and then take Four steps back. I, I don't know what the mythological guy is that used to roll the ball up the hill and roll it back down again. Can't think of his name right now. But it's kind of that thing. You know, they start to build momentum. They start to play really well. And, and then it all kind of falls back to the bottom of the hill again. That can all just be completely erased for the Vancouver Stealth this weekend if they can beat Calgary. Because if they beat Calgary, Then they're only two games back. Calgary would only have one game left. And Vancouver, as it sits, has to win out. Like that, That's all it is. Calgary's magic number is one. A win by Calgary or a Vancouver loss, and Calgary's in. So it'll be interesting to see how these two teams play this weekend. I'm going to be at the LEC. It is going to be a fantastic game. I hope it's going to be a fantastic game. Um, it could be a stinker. I don't think it will be. This late in the season with, with so much on the line, um, I just don't think either team will lay an egg, as it were. 
So, yeah, it, it kind of breaks down like this. The only, you know, as I said, Calgary wins, they're in. Vancouver wins, they still got a chance. If New England wins this weekend, they're, they've clinched a playoff spot, and then it's just down to a battle of third, which it kind of already is. So that's kind of how things are shaping up heading into week 16. Uh, there are a bevy of games on the table. New England is in Georgia on Friday. Buffalo is at Toronto Friday. Saskatchewan visits Colorado Friday. And then four games on Saturday. Toronto at Buffalo, Georgia at Rochester, Colorado at Saskatchewan, and Calgary versus Vancouver. You might have heard, while I was kind of reading that off, that Saskatchewan and Colorado played twice. How good are those two games going to be? You know, I talked about, you know, I don't think the Calgary-Vancouver game is going to be a stinker. I think it's going to be a really good game. But I would give a whole lot of things to be able to be in Denver and be in Saskatchewan for both of these games this weekend because uh, it's pretty much a battle for first place in the West. And I don't want to put cart in front of the horse, but it really kind of does look like a... West final preview. However, in years past, we've seen Calgary do a lot of things from the third seed. Um, Colorado tweeted out today they are 6-0 and at home, to which the Roughnecks quickly replied, yeah, well, we're 6-0 and against you guys in the playoffs, so pick your poison. I like the fact that Calgary and Colorado have this really cool kind of Twitter battle going on. It hasn't really picked up between any other teams. Um, just the banter back and forth. But the Colorado and Calgary social media peeps do a pretty thumbs up job. It'll be interesting to see... Um, if Dylan Ward is back this week for the Colorado Mammoth, he missed last weekend again. Uh, when I talked to him two weeks ago, he told me it was a uh, quote-unquote playoff cliche answer, lower body injury. But Alex Bouquet played last weekend for the Mammoth, again getting his second start, and he wasn't as sharp as he would have liked to have been. Um, that's no, you know, no real... Doubting that statement, made 35 saves on 52 shots, gave up 17. Zach Boychuk played three minutes and 40 seconds, stopped all four that he saw in the fourth quarter, but Bouquet just had a bit of a struggle. Uh, he was good in the first quarter. He only let in three, but it was that second and third quarter that we kind of talked about where Georgia was able to score 11 that kind of turned things around and, and Colorado wasn't able to get back into that game. So if if Bouquet's in, I kind of like Saskatchewan's chances. Um, if Dylan Ward is in, I think it's a different story. Uh, that's not nothing, uh, a knock on Alex Bouquet. I think he's a tremendous young goaltender. Uh, I think he's done incredible work for the Mammoth when he's been called upon, and, and he's one of those guys. You know, that that's the role of a number two. 
is that when you're called upon, you give quality, serviceable minutes, and you get the job done. And Bouquet, for the most part, has done that, which makes him, you know, incredibly valuable. But I just think Colorado is a better team when Dylan Ward is in the net. Um, Colorado has been without John Grant Jr. for the past couple weeks. He didn't play again this weekend. Um, no real update on his status. He was put on the IR um, by the Mammoths. We're just kind of waiting to see if, if they're going to take him off, if he's going to be available. Um, well, I'm just looking at the active roster right now. Dylan Ward has been activated, um, so he's back. Uh, Junior was activated from the IR but didn't play. Um, so he might have had some commitments with Valor, um, but I'm not too sure uh, where Junior was last weekend. But now that I just see Dylan Ward is there, if he gets the start, which I kind of imagine he will, but it is back-to-back, so you never know. Um, it's just going to be two great games. Like The Rush are predicting another sellout, which is just Looney Tunes, that they are having such success. Um, and doing so well in Saskatoon. Uh, brand new market, you know, um, a fairly grassroots program of lacrosse in Saskatchewan in general. Um, but a nice little article Bob Chavez had on IL Indoor this week about the growth uh, and the impact of the rush in Saskatchewan and what it's having for the registration numbers in that province. So um, congratulations to Bruce Urban and Lee Genier and, and everybody involved in the rush for, for doing what they do because that is a team that struggled in Edmonton um, marketing and, and getting people out and getting a strong fan base. And what they're doing in Saskatchewan is just remarkable. Conversely, at the other end of the table, it's the Georgia Swarm, and they put under 4,000 in the arena again this weekend. You know, it was a Sunday game. It'll be interesting, interesting to see what happens um, on a Friday night uh, when New England comes to town if they get some more fans out because it's, it's tough on, you know, guys' psyches to, to continually go out and play an arena that's three-quarters empty. And it, it, it's, it's tough for them to get motivated to play in front of quiet crowds. Uh, but this is a young Georgia team. I'm going to stop trying to stop using that word young with this Georgia team. This is a Georgia team that is playing some good lacrosse right now and are on the verge of making the playoffs. I spoke with one of those younger Swarm players. Rookie Jesse King. He was back in Victoria this week, and I was able to catch up to him after a long travel day. And I asked him how he was feeling. Oh, you know, pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> Life in the NLL, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Life in the NLL with two other jobs. Yeah. Well, what are you uh, What are you doing for work these days? Uh, I actually am helping out at Claremont. Oh, are you? Yeah, I help out at Claremont, and then I work at uh, Happy Cappers Daycare. You know the oh, Smith? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I work for them as well. They're, what, do you do, uh, what do you do with them? Child care services, like after school, before school care. Nice. Yeah, they're, they're really good because they're just accommodating. They let me work like when I'm here. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to have that option. Yeah, and they've been huge Shamrock supporters for years, so it's nice to have yeah, that exactly. relationship. Yeah, He's been my best friend since I was like six, seven years old. Oh, no way. So. Crazy. Crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, you had a bit of a long travel day yesterday? 
Uh, it wasn't too bad, but uh, we like I literally had to leave within fifty. Like I didn't even shake hands after the game. I ran <laughs> to the locker room and got my stuff off, hopped in the shower, yeah. and then got out and left. Is, has your travel schedule always been paint turnarounds just so you can get back, or you usually uh, have some flexibility? No, that was the first time that it's been that quick. Yeah. But usually usually it's the day after, but the Sunday, Sunday games are kind of tough because they're at, yeah. like, 2, so they try to yeah. get us home so that I can be home for today and do stuff yeah. today. Absolutely. So what, what's, the, what's, the travel, what's the travel route that you take to get down there? Uh, I go Atlanta to Seattle and Seattle here. It's not that oh, bad. That's not, yeah, that's not bad at all. No, and I've – Atlanta's a really big uh, Delta hub. It's, like, the biggest one in the United States. Oh, crazy. So I signed up for, like, a Sky Miles card at the beginning of yeah. the year, and I'm, ar- yeah. I'm already a silver member. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, so I get, like, pretty good upgrades and stuff. Are you traveling with anybody when you go down there? Do you meet some guys in Seattle? Uh, no, not really. The only guy that's from out west is Brody, but he's, yeah. from, he's from Vernon, Vernon so it's kind yeah, of so tough. He, yeah, so he flies out of Vancouver probably right to Atlanta then. Uh, he usually go, I, it's weird. I honestly don't really know why we don't cross o- over more often. I think it's just like the way that our work schedules are, like the way mm-hmm. that he, when he works and compared to when I work, cause he usually yep. comes in, uh, later than I do. Right. So okay. I'm not sure if it's just cause the flight, there's only a couple of flights probably from Vernon to Seattle yeah, a day. And then there's probably more from Victoria to Seattle yeah. than there are from Vernon, I'm guessing. Uh, obviously the the road wars uh, kind of wear down the body. Uh, how's it the the life of the NLO? We talked about you know traveling back and forth. How's your body handling all that? Um, I kind of struggled with it actually at the beginning. I had a, like I had a back problem. I had to sit out a game. Mm-hmm. But I mean the guys on our team, the trainer guys, have given me lots of stretches and stuff. And I talked to my I still talk to my trainer that's from uh from Ohio State. She's really yeah. good. She's like a mom to me kind of. So <laughs> I still talk to her like probably once or twice a week just to uh you know, keep in touch and let her know if anything's bothering me because I just yeah. I think I just trust her more than anyone I trust anyone yeah. else with my body because she knows how I am and how mm-hmm. I don't like to tell people that I'm sore or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh no, it's been really good now. I'm working out lots and it's kind of it's kind of nice cuz um, helping out at Claremont, like we don't just do lacrosse, right? We do like, mm-hmm. like we do fitness and like workouts and stuff. So I, yeah. I have the pleasure of, you know, like giving kids workouts and then doing it with them. So yeah. they're like kind of learning from myself and, you know, yeah. Chris and all that stuff. So it's kind of, uh, it's again, it's like accommodating to, to me. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you what the difference between, you know, having a very regimented structured life through the years at Ohio state and, and that sort of very, professional and business like attitude of, of set lifts and practice times and how you're able to adjust now that you don't have those set times, but the ability to be at Claremont really helps out with that. Yeah. I think that the, I mean, just trying to, you know, as you know, get that structure, that's something that you're kind of like really used to. I think just having like, you know, um, every Monday, like every Monday I'll go to, I go and hang out like tonight, I'm going to go to Gordon head, with uh, one of my buddies, and I'll go work out with him there. And yeah. usually it's just like a light workout, like some body or something like that. And then mm-hmm. I'll hop in the sauna and the hot tub to help my body, like, recuperate. And I've been yeah. doing that the last little bit, and I really enjoy it. And, like, just having, like, those little things that, like, kind of are somewhat structured that are always yeah. kind of, you know, written in stone that you're doing every once or twice a week or three times yeah. or, or whatever things a week, I think that that helps to – 
you know, the changes of like the lifestyle of the NLL where it's kind of all on the fly and mm-hmm. you got to be really prepared and ready for anything that happens. How are Sunday games for you? Because I know a lot of most guys don't like them, but uh, the, the the Sunday games is a completely different aspect. And you guys have been unfortunate to have like four or five already this year. Uh, it's a bit of a different mindset to get your game ready for Sundays, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> it wasn't too bad this week because, I mean, I flew out there on Friday. Friday? Friday. Yeah, Friday. So I went like a di- kind of like a day earlier than mm-hmm. I usually would. Usually they would fly us out on – did I fly out Friday or Thursday? <laughs> I don't Probably flew out Thursday. Just a flirt. Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. it was Friday. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then, you know, we did like a little team bonding. We went to uh, – Saturday night we went downtown Atlanta and went to uh, – uh, Celtics and Atlanta Hawks game, which nice. is pretty cool. So that was kind yeah. of fun. But um, I mean, it's it is different. I think the the only real big difference is the fact that it's at you know two in the afternoon mm-hmm. compared to you know having all day to you know mentally prepare. Right. And I think that goes for you know even when you're in college, like it's just getting out of college. Most of your games are at noon. Yeah. So, or yeah. one or two or like early in the afternoon on a Saturday. So you're getting up. You know, we, we'd have team breakfasts at Ohio State at, you know, 7.30 in the morning yeah. on Saturday morning, and then you're getting prepared for your game in the afternoon. So I think it's kind of trying to, again, remember, like, that regimen and that structure that you had towards back then and trying to apply it to what you're doing on instead just of a Sunday. So yeah. I think it's just important to not look too far past the game because, <clears throat> I mean, if I look too far past the game, you know, I'm packing all my stuff up and getting ready to go within <laughs> yeah, half an hour after the game, and I try not to think about that kind of stuff. I try to focus on, like, what's going on during yeah. a game, and it's obviously been tough, and I don't think we, we haven't been too successful with that, obviously, but, yeah. you know, it's a learning experience, and it's uh, something that you have to, everyone has to adapt to, so there's really no excuses for anything. You guys are, you know, you're still in it just like pretty much like every other team in, in the NLL right now. You're only a game behind Rochester for third. Is there still um, a real strong belief that you guys have what it takes to get in there? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that everyone on our team really believes. It's just I think that's what it comes down to a, a lot of the time. I mean, it's pretty cliche to say if you, you know, like if you, be, if you believe it, then you can do it. I think that's pretty yeah. obvious, and I, I truly do believe in that, and I think that – even the the energy and, you know, the attitudes that are going into the locker room is that we all think we have a chance and we all think that we can, we, you know, we should be in the playoffs and we should be playing hard and continuing that. And, uh, you know, our, or our leaders and our team have kind of set the uh, mental attitude to, you know, we started playoffs two games ago and we, mm-hmm. when we lost to Buffalo and now we're, we're playing it where we beat Colorado. So now we're one and one the playoffs and we need to finish out the season strong no matter what the occasion, but obviously we want to make that last playoff spot. Being only a game back from Rochester is pretty important, and uh, yeah. we got a pretty big weekend coming up. Obviously, with uh, you know two big games, two conference, you know, or conference teams. So I yeah. think that uh, it's important to keep that you know urgency and that mentality that you can make, we can make it, and I think that everyone believes that. So, uh, how have you enjoyed playing for Eddie Como? <laughs> Eddie's great, and it's uh, it's he talks to Artie a lot too, so it's, yeah. it makes it makes things interesting for me because every time I see Artie, he's always got something to say that Eddie told him, or the other way, or vice versa. <laughs> Eddie's saying something to me, so yeah, they've always it's pretty similar. They're always telling me, you know, being very positive. Eddie's a really positive guy. He knows, you know, he's been around the league for a long time. He knows the 
that, you know, we're all very talented players and that we don't need to, we all know like the X's and O's and stuff like that. We all study and do our homework mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, he has a very, <clears throat> just his like ambiance and the way that he presents himself is very professional. And, you know, he believes in our, in our, our group. And I think that's, you know, kind of where it begins is from a coaching staff with the guys like him and, you know, Sean Ferris and even and mm-hmm. Blaine, of course, you know, those guys, they believe in us. And I, like I said, I think that's where it begins. It all kind of stems from. And I think that we have, you know, we struggled obviously through the year or for, for the last few weeks, but I think mm-hmm. that, you know, getting a win on Sunday, especially against Colorado yeah. is big for us. And I hope that, uh, especially for my, even myself, you know, kind of getting that confidence going and, having everyone else to kind of play with that little bit of swagger that we were playing with at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone talks about the youth and, and on your team and, and the Swarm have always had young guys, but this is a, a different kind of youth movement of guys that are, are prepared and played some high level across. What's it like playing with such a young, talented group of players? Um, you know, again, I can, uh, Eddie kind of talks about it all the time and he's pretty, <laughs> I know he's made a very, uh, obviously, he's pretty sick of hearing everyone talk about how young we are right. and, you know, we'll be good down the road and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's just like you said, you know, we've got – we may be young, but, I, I mean, I'm sure we have a, quite a multitude of – you know, I don't even know how many Man Cup championships are on our team, you know, NLL mm-hmm. championships with the guys that are – with Johnny Palace and all yeah. those guys playing and, you know, NCAA points records and all that stuff. So I think that you could say that we're young, sure, but – I mean, we're a very mature young group of men, and I think that, you know, that's going to hopefully hopefully we're able to build off that. And then, of yeah. course, having guys, you know, like Shane and, you know, Mackie and Joel White and those guys that are, you know, they're veteran leaders for us, and they, they've been here for a while, and they know what it takes to win. And I think that we need to continue to feed off that and feed off each other and, you know, stick together as a team. And I think that going down the road, that'll be very important and uh just trying not. I think that we we do a very good job of ignoring kind of like the noise about people talking about how young yeah. we are. Yeah. And I think if we're able to continue to do that and play how we know we can play, and it'll be a result of like what happened on this Sunday. So. Yeah. Um, Randy Stats is, is leading the rookies in, in points, and, and you're only you know you're about ten points behind him with Bergie in the middle. But is is it? Do you have you built a good chemistry with him and and with Johnny Palace and the other guys like instantly or is it has it taken a little while? No, I mean Randy and I were have been roommates since uh, since the first day of training camp and we're still yeah. roommates. Awesome. So uh, we we get along really well. I guess I think that would be actually an understatement to how <laughs> well we get along. You know, we're always fooling around. You know, playing I don't know playing tricks on each other in the, in the <laughs> yeah. room and Johnny and. Johnny's another special guy. Me and him get along kind of in a weird relationship. It's pretty yeah. it's uh interesting. They're all just, you know, superb guys and they're all extremely easy to get along with and I don't think that the chemistry on or off the floor is really a problem with us. Yeah. Especially, you know, with the way Randy's playing right now. He's playing really well. He's very confident. He's got a he's a great player. And uh, you know, same thing for Johnny. Johnny's just you know, he's got that very I don't know, it's not like cocky or like he doesn't have like an ego or anything on him he just plays very confidently he knows what he's capable of and I think that him coming into our team is kind of he has to play like a different has had to play a different role than maybe he's had to play in the past couple years you know not being maybe the the big guy on the team but you know I think he might be up there leading almost leading our team in goals this year so yeah 
I think he's doing a really good job. He's responding really well, and I think he really enjoys it. And it's always good to see guys that are playing and enjoying it as much as, you know, guys like Johnny Palace out there, especially yeah. even in his fifth year after he's won, you know, three championships yeah. already. So yeah. I think that, uh, you know, we all get along very well on the uh, for the front end of the floor, and it's the yeah. same thing with the defensive guys. Everything, I don't think there's anything, any locker room problems or anything yeah. like that. Um Everyone kind of looks at this, the crowds in, in Georgia and, and how they're not the greatest, and then they compare it to Saskatchewan and how they're through the roof. But is it being recepted really well? Like, are the fans learning the game and understanding a little bit more now? Now that we're almost near the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty tough for you know, I think especially for an Amer like an American city, not to be biased because I'm Canadian, but to for like you know a city like uh, Gwinnett. Georgia to pick up on box across right away but I know that we we have had a little bit of struggles but you know that's not completely you know the fans fault that's also our yeah. fault you know not winning the, gig, the games that we need to and uh you know maybe not playing as hard as people think we might be playing but I think that there's a lot of people that are starting to understand what's going on especially out on the floor you see a lot of familiar faces up in the stands and you're looking mm -hmm. up so that's really you know, that's heartwarming and that's, you know, humbling to see those people up in the stands. And it means a lot to us, obviously, even though, you know, maybe we're not getting the, the record attendances that Saskatchewan's getting out there. But yeah. I think that uh, we've had we've had some struggles, and I think that uh, over maybe the next little bit, if we continue to win, maybe win some games at home, that you'll see some, you know, some changes in that. But, mm -hmm. uh I mean, I, even I know, like, I have, fr I have friends down in Atlanta that he he came to his first game last night or yesterday, and he really enjoyed it, and he already wants to come back for the next time we're down awesome. there. And, you know, hopefully he brings his friends and they bring their friends and all, yeah. all that. So I think it's really important for, you know, people to open up connect their own lines of connection and get people out to games as well. So what was is there a bit of a culture shock from going from island life here in Victoria down to to the big city of Atlanta and in Gwinnett counties? Um, I mean, not really for me, just because I, I mean, I guess for me it's a little bit different. I'm a little bit unique because I went from you know pretty slow island life, living up in the highlands, looking at a mountain right now, yeah. to uh, you know the flattest land you could possibly find in Ohio, with the biggest <laughs> yeah. one of the biggest cities in the country, yeah. and you know one of the the largest universities in the country. I think that's yeah. when I kind of had my culture that shock, and I didn't, don't think yeah. anyone, anything else could really, <laughs> you know, top that. But, uh, you know, it's obviously different. We're a little bit outside of Atlanta. The city, actually, the city I got to go, to, when we got to go down the other night was the first time I'd been down to Atlanta, and it was it was beautiful. And I would, yeah. you know, it's really nice down there. And I know there's a few guys, including myself, that are, you know, considering living down there next year during season to make things a little easier mm -hmm. for for ourselves and of the team of course and uh that comes with you know that's that's another part that'll help build you know a fan base is having people more around down in the town so we're able yeah. to you know get our names out there and you know do some marketing for ourselves but uh yeah. i mean there wasn't too much of a culture shock but yeah. it uh, it uh i'm excited for what the future holds are any guys living down there yeah uh shane Jackson lives down there. Drew Peckoff lives down there. Sean Young lives down there, and Zach Higgins lives down nice. there. Okay. So there are some guys down there doing some some community work, helping out and and getting the name out there. Yeah, Sean actually Young. Sean Young, he's on our practice roster. He yep. is working for the Atlanta Blaze. 
the okay, MLL yeah. team down there, so he's doing that. And then uh, Shane is work, actually coaching at a high school down there. Right, yeah. So yeah. he's he's getting pretty involved. I think Petkoff might be as well. I'm not really sure, nice. but – Okay. Um, yeah, those guys are already down there, and they're you know they're building foundation down there, especially to go so far south where like yeah. indoor lacrosse is such a you know it's just like an alien yeah. thing coming down and <laughs> people not know each other. But I think they're doing a good job down there. You know, we're getting functions and getting people out there out to these kind of functions and you yeah. know fundraisers and stuff like that, and people are seeing what we're capable of, and I think that's really important, especially with those guys. Those are all really good guys to be down there promoting the sport. I think. Yeah. Um, I ran into Mike Pyers yesterday, and he was just talking about uh, uh, Kevin Buchanan, a, fe- a fellow former Buck guy who's having an incredible year with the Black Wolves. Is it, is it, do you kind of root for guys who are former uh, Ohio State guys? Do you keep in contact with those guys much? <laughs> I mean, you're always rooting for the Buck guys, no matter yeah. what. I think uh, you know it's a special bond, and I think uh, you know anyone can relate to it when they, you go to a school like that or any kind of you know university or you know institute where you share that yeah. type of bond with another guy and i think that uh you know it's just for me I've, again i'm probably biased but it's just it's something special to see you know turner evans getting his first couple mm-hmm. goals a couple weeks ago and you know logan doing so well when he's healthy and out there playing well and of course kevin who is you know just <laughs> he's a superb human being and i <laughs> i'm very grateful to know kevin he's uh you know, uh, someone that I, you know, really look up to, especially when I was at Ohio State. Yeah. And now that you can see him, you know, transferring his intelligence out onto the the indoor game and loving it as much as he does is, again, it's just so special to see. And I think it's uh, awesome for him to do it. I just would prefer him to not not to do it against <laughs> Do it against you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much uh, do you still look back to this past summer in the Man Cup with Shamrocks? Um, I mean, no matter what, I think it's it's always in the back of your head. I always think I was just thinking about it. It's weird. Cause I was thinking about it yesterday, yeah. and how different it is, and you know the the size and the mass and everything. And then you know coming home to just seeing people that you know I'm gonna see so familiar, so many familiar faces every single game. Whereas when mm-hmm. I go to you know, we're in Georgia or in Buffalo or something. I'm not. I'm seeing people that I've never seen before in my life yeah. out in the stands. Whereas, you know, the tight knit community of you know the Victoria Shamrocks fan club is very, very yeah. interesting and very uh, you know very supportive. And we're always very appreciative of that. And I think that's that's something that really sticks with me. And I think about all the time. And you know, my family doesn't get to my family watches all their games online, but it's yeah. obviously not the same. Of course, as when they're watching it live, and I can you know go indulge and have fun with them <laughs> after the game yeah. a little bit yeah. before I go bond with my team, you know. Yeah. What do you remember about the Man Cup? What's sort of one of the memories that sticks out when you think about it? <sighs> what do I remember? Um, <laughs> I always think about. I think it was game two or three when we were. I don't know if it was in overtime or it was going to go to overtime. We pulled our goalie, and I actually threw the ball away and ran back and tried to make a save in the net, and I did it, yeah. and I felt really guilty <laughs> and really bad about it. And that still haunts me to this day. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously you always remember – I always remember jumping on the, the pile at the end of the yeah. you know, game six when we won. And then uh, I think the the best one of the best things I got to see was the smile on my dad's face and yeah. how proud he was of me and that was really special to me as well especially for for him he's not a very <laughs> I don't know he doesn't 
show too many emotions mm-hmm. very often, but he did a really good job that night, and I think that uh, that was one thing I'll never forget. Well, you're on a, a path for starting, my friend. It's great to see you having such success early on in your career, and, and continued best of luck this weekend, and I uh, appreciate you giving us some time today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me out, and, uh, you know, I hope that uh, I can maybe get some more talks going, especially when we make a push to the playoffs. Well, you can consider it done, Mr. King. If the Swarm can make it to the playoffs, we will definitely get Jesse back on this show at some point, maybe even in the summer when he's dabbling with the Victoria Shamrocks. But the Swarm are close. As I said, they are nipping at the heels of the Rochester Nighthawks, who are sitting in third. But the big story for me last weekend was the play of the New England Black Wolves. They hosted Saskatchewan on Friday night at home, and came away with a huge 14-13 win. The big impact in that game was when Evan Kirk came into the game. Back-to-back games for the Black Wolves. Head coach Glenn Clark decided to go with Ty Belanger in the home game against the Rush, and it didn't go too well. New England found themselves down 6-1 at the end of the first quarter, and just as that sixth goal was scored, that's when the goalie switch was made, and after that, New England went on a 13-7 run to win the game. Evan Kirk is slowly making a case for goalie of the year. And if it wasn't for his teammate Sean Evans, he could easily be the Black Wolves MVP nod because he has been that valuable to them. Two weeks ago, I talked about or even last week, actually, I talked about Dane Smith being my vote for the MVP. And I think he's going to get a lot of people's votes. But Steven Stamp brings up a great argument. The fact that Sean Evans is doing what he's doing with this Black Wolves team and where he has helped them get to really does prove his value. And that's where the argument comes, and that's why I like Stamp's argument, and it's one that I've always, always, always had. Is it most valuable, or is it the most outstanding, or the most offensive? Most valuable means if you took that person off of their team, how would the team do? I I, I don't think Buffalo is where they are without Dane Smith. They're still a great team. But I don't think they have the year that they have. There's no doubt in my mind that New England is having the year that they have if they don't have Sean Evans. But I also don't think they're having the year if they don't have Evan Kirk. But what Sean Evans has done, and this weekend he set a National Lacrosse League record breaking Garrett Billings' record when Evans recorded his fourth straight 100-point season. And he's just building and building, and building. And it'll be interesting to see how many points he actually does get because he, just like Dane Smith, is on pace to break the 130-point barrier. Evans is going to finish second to Dane Smith unless Dane just decides to stop playing. But in his last four years, Evans has had 130, 105, 112, And he's currently at 102. That, my friends, is impressive. His lowest point 
total in his career is 45 points back in 2010 when he was with Rochester, his second to last year in Rochester. It was his lowest outing of goals with only 11. Sorry, his lowest was his rookie year when he had 37 points. But rookies are rookies. It's kind of understandable. And consistently, he's a plus 60-point guy, except for his rookie year in that 2010 year. But what he is doing and continues to do and how he makes everybody around him better, he makes a really strong case for MVP and a chance to win his third MVP award. And I, it's going to be interesting to see how this vote goes because, really, there are two clear nominees, Evans and Smith. And... You can't go wrong either way. But it all comes down to how people want to um, debate the MVP voting and, and what the MVP is. Because if it's most valuable, I think it's Sean Evans. If it's most outstanding, as Shani pointed out, it's Dane Smith. And sometimes when people vote for MVP, they think, oh, who's just the best player in the league? That's fine. That's the way you want to look at it. But then it's not an MVP type vote. And my argument last weekend, and what I talked about in my 30 second shot clock, was the argument the year before when Evans was getting 130 points, since, well, you got to give it to him. Because he's setting the record, and he's blowing it out of the water. So if you're going on that, that's most outstanding. So it'll be interesting to see where the votes fall. And I really think people are going to give the nod to Dane Smith just because of what he's done. And I don't have an issue with that. But I also wouldn't have an issue if everybody voted for Sean Evans. Because, as I said, he is more valuable to the Black Wolves' success than Dane Smith is to the Bandits' success. And that's not a knock on Dane, because I think the Bandits go as far as Dane Smith is going to take them. But if you take Sean Evans out of the New England roster, I don't see them anywhere near the top of the East standings. Cast your vote now. Somewebsite.com. Um, so, yeah, it's incredible to see him putting up four straight 100-point seasons. Garrett Billings did it three straight years, and now Evans has done it four straight years. And just uncanny ability to make everybody around him better. And one of the things that really stands out about Evans when you look at his stats, loose balls. He has 102 loose balls this year. You may think, oh, that's not a whole lot, but it is because he continually works his ass off in the offensive zone. And he hounds defenders, he works his butt off inside, and there aren't too many guys that 
are pain in the ass for defenders coming out of their own zone and battling for loose balls like Sean Evans. And to put it into perspective, your top five loose ball guys in the National Lacrosse League. Jordan McIntosh takes faceoffs. Brody Merrill is just a vacuum, doesn't take faceoffs. Jeremy Thompson takes faceoffs. Kyle Rubish, one of the best defenders in the game. And Robert Hope, one of the best up-and-coming young defenders in the game. And then Sean Evans. There's no offensive guy in the top 10 of loose balls. The only guy, Sean Evans, at 6. The next offensive guy, that Dane Smith guy. 91. So, debate it as much as you wish, because it's going to be a debate. But I don't think you can go wrong either way with Evans or with Dane Smith as your 2016 MVP. Uh, We've talked about playoffs. We've talked about the Wolves. Talked about a whole lot of points for Evie. And we've heard from Jesse King. Uh, Two more things I kind of want to touch on. You got. We've talked about the Toronto Rock a lot um, over this year, and just everything that's gone on with them, um, and their injuries, and just the the troubles that they have had trying to get guys into the roster, just because they've been so depleted with injuries, and you know, because we're at the roster freeze, they're not a lot. They're not able or allowed to sign anybody new. So what they got is what they got, and they're going to need some guys to use a little bit of the uh, FIFA magic spray to get some of these guys to enough health where they can play regular shifts because, like I said, they still have a chance to make the playoffs here, and it's it's not out of the realm. Like Vancouver, they pretty much have to win out to get in, but... It's just, like, I feel so bad for for Dowick and The Rock of just all the injuries that they've gone through. And I've never seen a team decimated this way with season-ending injuries. Vancouver's had injuries that, you know, guys have missed a week here, a week there, a couple weeks here, whatever. Every team goes through that. But the amount of guys they've lost for the season or not even had... Like, Damon Edwards hasn't played all year. Patty Merrill played the first handful of games and left with a knee injury. Scott Johnson missed the first part of the year, came back, was missed, came back, and now he's done. Then they bring in Mark Farthing because they needed bodies, and in his first game, an unfortunate knee injury, and he's done. i just never seen it before. I've, I've never seen a season go this late in the season, and I've never seen a team decimated with season-ending injuries like the Toronto Rock have. The good thing for Toronto is that they're going to get a high draft pick. You know, if it were to end now, they'd have the number two pick. And with, you know, a top two pick, you're probably going to get one of the three top WLA picks, Chown Rogers, Mike Messenger, James Ray, like, that's great. So, you know, they'll get healthy next year. Um, they'll be able to start 
building a new future for this club. They already have some great young pieces already in place. Brett Hickey, Dan Lintner, Rob Hellier, like Stefan Blanc, still young. Casey Beerns probably has another few years left in him. Kyle Ross might have a couple years left in him. Um, Jesse Gamble's still there. Scott Johnson's going to get healthy, hopefully. Damon Edwards is going to get healthy. Brody Merrill's probably got a couple years. Rob Marshall's still got a couple years. You know, So they have pieces in place. But getting a top pick is massive. And especially of one of those three BC guys. And there's probably a slew of, of Eastern guys that I'm missing while looking at sort of the draft participant list. But all is not lost for Toronto. So, you know, if they miss the playoffs, so be it. But they can start to look towards the future. At the other end of the draft spectrum, actually it's the same end, but the Vancouver Stealth, if they happen to finish last, they won't get the first overall pick. Guess who it's going to go to? That's right. The Saskatchewan Rush. How many times can they be gifted the number one pick? Remember the last time they were gifted the number one pick? Remember who they got? That's right. Ben McIntosh. Well, when Edmonton traded Corey Small to the Vancouver Stealth for their first round selection in 2016 and their first round selection in 2019, I don't think they thought that that pick was possibly going to be a first overall pick. Who are we going to add? Rogers, Messenger, or Ray? All right. I I can't remember where I saw it, and I saw someone discussing this exact same fact, and that's kind of why it popped into my head. But just imagine adding Rogers, Messenger, or Ray to that group they already have. An embarrassment of riches to add to everybody else that they've picked up over the years. Knight, Church, Matthews, McIntosh. Just phenomenal. And sometimes making trades works out for you, and especially when you get first-rounders. And Saskatchewan has gotten... A lot of first-rounders. They've gotten, I think, three from Vancouver, one from Minnesota, and who's now Georgia. Um, One of those Vancouver picks was when they were in Washington. But, like, it's been incredible to see the amount of picks Derek Keenan has been able to amass in the first round from other teams. Conversely, Vancouver doesn't have a first-round pick unless they trade for a first-round pick until 2020. So, some teams like to collect first-rounders. Other teams like to trade them for established veterans who hope they can pan out. Unfortunately, this year for the Stealth hasn't really panned out. But, as we've talked this whole show, they're still not out of it. And that pick could easily change, so who knows. Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am Randy Stats is the leading rookie point getter in the National Lacrosse League this year. He is starting to build an insurmountable lead over Westberg and Jesse King. He has 67 points in 14 games this year. 
And this past weekend, he put the swarm on his back and had three goals and four assists in what was a must-win game. Stats has been doing it all year for the Georgia Swarm. He has been such a great addition to this club. And for a rookie to have the year that he is having at the pace that he is having has just been absolutely fantastic. He had his lowest output this year had been two two-point games, a game against Rochester and a game against New England three weeks ago. But other than that, he's been fours and threes and sixes and sevens and an eight in there all year long. And when you can produce in your first year with that kind of consistency and that kind of high-tempo production, you really start to make a name for yourself. He was the sixth overall pick by Georgia, and from the jump, he built immediate chemistry with everybody on that roster. His first game in the National Lacrosse League, he had seven points. His second game, he had six. And then he experienced his first goalless game when they played New England. Then he bounced back with a three-goal game, and then a seven-point game, and then a six-point game, and it's been steady and consistent ever since. His last two games against two of the better defenses in all of the NLL, Buffalo and Colorado, he's had 15 points. He leads all rookies in scoring, as I said. He has been head and shoulders above everybody this year. And he came in ready to play. He came in shape. And a lot of people questioned the health of and status of his knee. That hasn't been an issue whatsoever. His year in 2016 has been such a treat to watch. And to watch him work seamlessly in his first year in the National Lacrosse League. The crazy thing about it, though, is that he needs 23 points over his next four games to break Reese Dutch's rookie scoring record. That's a lot. That's like five-plus points a game. Good math. Um, but Randy Stats had an incredible weekend, seven points for the Swarm in what was a very important win for them against Colorado. And they're going to have to get a couple more performances like that from him if they're going to have a chance at making the playoffs. But after a seven-point weekend, Stats is the man. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Uh, one last thing uh, that I wanted to talk about, and it kind of caught me off guard. And again, I haven't gone back and looked at every game that's been played. Um, but if I were to ask you how many match penalties had been called this year, match penalties, how many would you think there'd been? I'll give you 10 seconds. Well, what's your answer? Well, here's a hint. There was one this weekend. Miles Thompson got a match penalty in the Colorado game uh, early early third of the fourth quarter. And I don't, I looked at it, and I've looked at it, and I've looked at it. I don't think it was a match penalty. 
Um, I hope the league will kind of rescind that. If it's anything, it's a five-minute major for high stick. I don't think it was deserving of a match. But So there's one. There have been six match penalties called this year. Six. Two on Colorado, Calgary, New England, Georgia, and Toronto all have one. Six match penalties. That's insane. Like I would like to go back and take some time and go look back at every single match penalty that was called. And, you know, find the game sheets of, of where they were called and, and go back and look at all the game film and see what they were. Because six match penalties seems pretty high to me. And I haven't obviously looked at years past to see how that number um, uh, correlates to other years. But six just seems like a lot. Like there's only been six 10-minute misconducts all year. And yet there's been six match penalties. Just boggles my mind. Boggles it, I tell you. Uh, that'll about do it. Uh, my name is Teddy Jenner. Uh, I say it every week. <laughs> I, I don't know why I did this. Um, I was looking up something on the internet, trying to find an old article, and uh, it took me to an old IL forums um, thread, and it was talking about my podcast, and somebody somebody asked, why does he say, thanks for listening, I'm Teddy Jenner? Was he somebody else before all this? I don't know. It's just something I say, man. So, I'm Teddy Jenner. Thanks for listening. This has been another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross because I'm punny like that. Thanks to Jesse King for giving us some time out of his busy schedule to talk here on the podcast. Thank you to you for taking some time out of your busy day to listen to said podcast. Uh, We'll talk to you in a week time. Enjoy the games, everybody. It is going to be a fantastic weekend of lacrosse action. There are a lot of games. Take a friend if you can. Put it on a bar. Put it on the TV. Let everybody see the gloriousness of the National Lacrosse League. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other. 